for you Yeah, yo There whenever it matters and even more when you feel like it doesn't Protect you so you never feel like you wasn't No, I'm right alongside you, here but that I'm behind you But always got you, end of discussion, nothing means more First one to offer his shoulders for what you preach for Thought I saw the eyes of the world until I seen yours And know that I ain't see a better view yet I'm with whatever, so don't ever you fret Know that you covered, not a hurdle or a heartbreak To change what a partake Cause none of them won't ever get comfortable in your walkway My job is to aware you, fully loaded Prepare you for all of the above that I'm never letting get near you. But still, I know, give you every advantage I found. Couldn't find a better fit for them along with my crown. And since the baton was passed, I've been down. Cause feeling's not an option, and dad is not a noun, not at all. Welcome, welcome to another episode of Dad is Not a Now. My name is Yeshmael. I hope everyone's doing all doing well, doing awesome. This is an awesome Sunday. What you just saw was an amazing trailer to a film I had the privilege to see called The Sleeping Negro. And my special guest today is the man behind that film. Um, I'm gonna let him introduce himself first, but but yeah, go, go ahead, brother. Yeah, yeah well, thank you for having me, Ishmael. It's uh, my name is Skinner Myers. Everyone, I'm happy to be here. Uh, I wrote, directed, and produced and starred in The Sleeping Negro with some friends of mine, and uh, we premiered at Slam Dance. Um, we got picked up by Art Matin Film, so it will be out in theaters later this year, at, virtually and in, in the brick and mortar theater, and also uh, streaming eventually. So make sure to. Uh, you can check out the website, thesleepingnegrofilm.com, uh, to stay updated, uh, or on Instagram, uh, which is the same name. And uh, yeah, just happy to be here on this Sunday. Thank you for joining, man. Of course. At the beginning of that trailer, you had this amazing quote by James Baldwin. Um, talk about that quote. Yeah. And put it in its content because, and again, you know, you're so many things. But first and foremost, you're a husband and mm -hmm. a father. Mm -hmm. So break that quote down to me what it means to you putting all those elements together yeah wow man uh let's see so that quote um i should probably read it uh just so that everyone knows what the quote is so um to be a negro in this country 
and to be relatively conscious is to be in a rage almost all the time. That was by James Baldwin. And that quote, what that quote um, represented for me was just the place that, the void that I feel like I occupy as a black man. I don't feel African, I don't feel American. Um, oftentimes feel invisible in so many ways or dehumanized or not valued. And so there's a, there's a uh, level of frustration and rage that's constant. It's like if you have a pot of water and you put it on around three, if there's like one out of 10, three, it has like this constant boiling. And um, I just felt like it really summed up the tone and theme of what I was trying to do with the movie. And some of the frustrations I was really going through, this was in 2000, um, oh man, 2018, 19, when I wrote the script. And uh, yeah, so that quote really hit me pretty hard when I, when I read it. And I was like, I gotta put this in the movie. Um, and I think it, it it serves its purpose very well, you know. But definitely, but also talk about that impact of being a father and a husband. Yeah. You know, you yeah. Get it. But yeah. talk about that, especially in this current current environment, especially just through the pandemic and everything. Yeah, you know, it's um it's interesting because you know, I'm I'm uh I'm a happy father of two wonderful kids. My son will be eight in August, my daughter will be three in September. And uh, we have tons of fun together. Um, but you know, I at one point I felt guilty bringing them into this world because they're black kids, and um, you know, selfishly I wanted to have that legacy passed on. But also, I worry about how they're going to be seen and treated, and how they're going to handle um, uh, their life as they get older, living in America or wherever they end up. You know, under a system of white supremacy that can that is global, really, and um, so there's a lot of pressure in how to not only live by example, but how do I prepare them? And uh, and so, you know, it's with the pandemic hitting and my kids being home, my son um, was out of school learning from home. I'm also a professor, so I was teaching on Zoom. Well, I was like, he was next to me. I was trying to help him with his work. That was really, it was a big struggle for us as a family at first, because he was crying every day. And my wife was really stressed out because she had to work from home. But then, you know, about two or three months into the, into the pandemic, I realized like this is a, actually a blessing because usually if things were normal, my kids would be in school, you know, 8 a.m. They do aftercare to about five or six. They come home, they eat dinner. How, how was your day? They go to bed and that's Monday through Friday. And so the last 16 months, we've gotten really tight as a unit because of the kids being home. And so it's really made me slow down as a, as a father, as a husband, as a, as a man, to really appreciate what's most important. And so, um, you know, with the types of films that I want to make and the one that I made, I want to make films that, you know, um, can be like a time capsule and also um, a, a piece of memorial, like for my, myself, for my children, once I'm no longer here. And also give them some guidance Hopefully, you know, when my son is uh, in his 30s and he's feeling frustrated as a black kid, you know, he could maybe learn something um, from The Sleeping Negro or the other films that I plan on making. And um, I've put him in my films in the past. We actually just made a, a movie um, that, I'm, that I won't say much about, but it's part of an anthology series that I'm doing with um, three really great filmmakers who are good friends of mine, Morari Garima, Ntume um, Gant, and Jonathan Burnett. And so um, my son and I just filmed our piece and it's a father and son story. So, you know, I'm trying to incorporate my children into my work as well. Um, I think that's important. 
I want them to feel like they're part of what um, I'm doing because they are a part of me. And so, um, but it, it, you know, the pandemic and releasing this movie has uh, has really stretched me, and I've grown a lot. Um, I feel like I've become a, a better father um, for it, you know. Uh, and I, my son's of, of an age where we can have some deeper conversations now, because he's asking some, you know, some of the deeper questions. Because he's he's just seeing what he sees, you know, in the world and on TV, and he's hearing things. And you know, um, it's a good time right now to really break down what what world he lives in, you know. And tell me what are the struggles of being a father? You know, you want to protect, you want to hide your kids from yeah. the boogie monster. So how do you kind of balance the two of you don't want to show them that, but yeah. you want to show them this just to prepare them, even yeah. though they be too young to understand, yeah. but eventually they're going to face that reality. Yeah. No, it's a great question. You know, um, when George Floyd was murdered, uh, we were in L.A., and I currently live in Colorado, but we were living in Los Angeles. And, um, you know, we took our kids to some of the, uh, the rallies that we were having in LA. And I mean, I, he never saw the video of Mr. Floyd being killed. Cause you know, I was like, you know what? One, um, <laughs> with the history of this country and all the lynchings of black males and all the postcards that were made as gifts, um, you know, seeing another black uh, male body being killed by the cops or some white person, just uh, reinforces that trauma and there's no need to really like keep showing that. So I didn't let my son watch it, but we talked about what what happened and what it represents. And also too, at the same time, um, he had started to notice, he would say things like, like he, he was doing swimming lessons before the pandemic and his teacher was out and there was a substitute teacher and he goes out, well, I really wanna work with the, the black teacher. And you know, that was just like, it just came out. And so he's starting to recognize color and how people are treating him differently or, how you know certain um, teachers and students interact around him. So you know the challenge has been um, finding that balance. I, I'm not not trying to like just show him explicit material of people getting shot down, but uh, we have some books. There's a great book um, called Little Radical Rebels that has some children's stories from a radical perspective that really helps them understand certain concepts. Uh, so we've been reading some of some of those stories. And I'm just, you know, it's like there's some documentaries we've been watching and also just open to whenever he has serious questions, we usually take a walk and we'll have a conversation. And I find that it's easier for him to kind of like take in what I'm saying if we're like doing something like walking or something, you know. Right. Um, so did I answer Did I answer the question? Yeah, you did. You did. I, I did. And I like how you brought how when your son had the swimming lesson and he's like, I want the teacher that that look like me. Yeah. Talk about the importance of representation and affirmation, especially being a father, but doing film too. Talk about that, uh, that, that importance. Yeah, it's, it's, it is, it's important. It's very important because, um, you know, sometimes seeing someone that looks like you doing something that you never thought could be done can be all the inspiration one needs to pursue their own passions. You know, and I think uh, it's funny you know, looking at stuff that I watched as a child sometimes because of all the streaming platforms, I have all these old cartoons and movies. There's occasion I'll say, hey, let's watch this movie that I watched when I was like seven. And I'm, and I'm realizing like everything's white. <laughs> you know? And as a kid, you don't think about it because that's just, that's just, it is, that's what it, that's the world, right? And, um, and I'm like, wow, like, man, 
my whole per perception and perspective of certain things was really skewed. Um, and now there is there are more um, you know shows and cartoons and things that have people that look like us or my children. Um, but it's also too what I think is important in, on top of representation is um, you know the uh, having the right uh, type of people represent us, right? Because uh, like we were talking before we were recording, um, just because you're uh, skin folk, don't mean you're kin folk. And some people have ulterior motives, and they'll use representation to um, you know take advantage of opportunities. But I, I think it's important for children because you know um, they're coming up in the world where there's a so for me it's like yes things are different than when I was a kid but not by much the goalposts have constantly been moved um, but I think there's more non-black people who are starting to realize um, what type of system we live under yep. and whether what whether the way they're pursuing justice is 100% authentic or not, at least like there is a, a, a shift, I think, in how people are thinking. Even just talking about certain terms like white supremacy or critical race theory or, uh, you know, capitalism, um, communism, socialism, uh, talking about these terms and actually having a um, a true understanding of what they represent, not what, not how they've been demonized by uh, America propaganda, and so um, you know, I think for the my children, it's great that they have things they can watch that you know has people in there that looks like them. But I'm also trying to teach them too is not just about uh, being seen in that. Like you, you, you know, um, uh, what I'm trying to say here, you know, you want to be able to be represented but also by the right type of people, right? Um, because if it's, if community doesn't come first <clears throat> and people are just trying to jump into these represent, uh, representational roles to make money, and that's a problem, you know? Um, and so I try to make that clear with my kids, but I am happy that there's much diversity um, uh, on TV and entertainment system. I do hope that the black male, the way the black male is represented continues to improve, right? Because um, there's still, it still lacks <laughs> in proper re representation in my personal opinion. Um, but you know. <laughs> I, I, know I, I totally agree with you because I think it's important. And I think what makes this generation different is that the questioning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For us, when we were growing up, we were like, okay, okay, if that's the facts, okay. But we won't question it. That's right, yeah. And, I, and honestly, you I mean, the way I grew up, I'm the oldest of six kids, and my dad was a preacher. My mom was an artist, and so I grew up in a really, <clears throat> you know, conservative uh, family that eventually, you know, essentially was like a bootstrap mentality in the '80s, which I felt like was pretty big with a lot of black families, right? Because um, that was what's being pushed. You know, a lot of um, you had a lot of black lawyers and dentists finally getting into these big corporate jobs. And then you have this boule and AKAs and this, and this like bourgeoisie black class that was assimilating further into the system, making money. And for some that was great. And for others who were poor in the black community, it didn't help them at all. Right. And so uh, we grew up poor and 
it was always like, you know, go to college, get a good education, get a good paying job, work hard and things are going to work out. And clearly that's not true. <laughs> and I didn't learn that until I was, you know, a young adult. But so I grew up in a family like that. And, um, and my views have obviously changed since when I was younger. Um, and so the, the truth is you can work hard and do everything right as a black person and still never have um, any success at all. You could be killed by not only a cop, but any white person that wants to swat you or you know anybody could, you really have no power. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, like oh, a white lady could call 911, lie on you and um, you can get killed before the truth comes out, you know? Um, we've seen uh, things similar to that, like the bird watcher in New York City, for example. So uh, yeah, I don't know how I got on that rant, but basically I wanna see better black male uh, representation, uh, hopefully in the future. But um, it's important for my kids to understand representation is important, but also, um, you know, community uplift is equally important. And I totally agree that community, and I think going back to what you alluded to before, is that when you had that generation of the 80, the doctors, the lawyers, you know, they moved to suburbia area, which is uh, a good thing. You yeah. Know, but at the same yeah. time, it, it left a lot of people behind. Of course, yeah. If you, if you go back to you know, you know, when um, you saw black communities thriving um, around, you know, reconstruction, it wasn't about the individual, it was about the entire community. Sure. And that's you saw different communities all over the United States, because yeah. it was about community. Yeah. But fortunately, like you were saying, that 80, it was all about individualism. Mm -hmm. yeah. It was about I, me, 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 and that's it. Yeah. And that, that hurt a lot of people in our community at that time and a lot of people behind. And I think, like you were saying, you know, representation is uh, important, but mm -hmm. being brutally honest is uh, is uh, important too. Okay. Going back to James Baldwin is that James Baldwin, you know, he told it like he, he saw it, yep. you know, he didn't yep. admit, he didn't have a lot of people when he was alive. He didn't have a lot of fans when he was alive. Right. But now, you know, now he's been gone for a long time. Yeah. Everybody's hopping on to James Baldwin. They want to know James Baldwin. But yeah, but just talk about that importance of like being honest about the flaws in our community. Yeah, I think it's really important because we, you know, you can very easily um, lie to yourself, you know, just because one individual black person is doing well. Uh, doesn't mean that the whole community is doing well. And and what I feel sometimes, you know, it's like uh, if someone's black and they're doing something that, you know, someone else wants to do, it's like, well, we got to support them no matter what. And it, it's clear that, that you can't do that. You know, for example, it's like, you know, having a black president or a black vice president uh, really hurt us, you know, really set us back. And I think there's um, what ends up happening is that when movements on the ground start, usually they start from the street. Yeah. And at some point they get co-opted by the black bourgeoisie, the gatekeepers, and then they, the gatekeepers will try to manipulate it so that they benefit right. from the initial uh, thing that happened from the street. Right. And it just further cements their, their status as middle class, upper class, and it doesn't help anyone that's poor. And um, so I think we need to be brutally honest with that, right? Um, uh, I, there's, um, there's a very wise man named Neely Fuller Jr. Um, who 
talks about having a code and when black people get together, it needs to be a constructive conversation. Um, and I feel like there's, we, we lack code in a lot of ways, you know, because um, if money's dangled in front of you within this capitalistic system, you, people tend to go for that and kind of forget, you know, their, where they came from or, or who they are. And so we should call that out. You know, we should support, it's great to, and this is where I struggle uh, because as a filmmaker, it's like, all right, yeah, I made a movie. Making a film is kind of like a petite bourgeoisie thing to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, films are expensive. Right. And there's definitely way more effective ways to affect change than making a movie. Um, and so I recognize that. And so I struggle with that because I'm like, am I really, what am I doing to change if I'm not tangibly working in the community? Now, I just moved to Colorado because I took a job um, that was a better job for me. And um, we are in a very, I'm looking at my basement window, we are in a very like suburban area right now. Right. And, and I didn't grow up like this. And so it's taken me a while to get used to it. Um, and it's not like I'm, you know, oh, I can't enjoy uh, this new job and, and, right. and some of the success that it allows me to have, but I'm also trying to stay grounded. And so my whole point is it's important to call out things that are not right within the black community just because someone is famous or or is having success, if they're not doing right by the community, we gotta call that out, you know? And and I feel like with some of the film and TV content that's coming out, that it just um, reinforces, like it's it's allowing white companies to make money off black trauma. Yeah. And um, which I find really unfortunate, you know? And so there's a lot of, a lot of it I cannot get down with. Um, and I try to find that balance. Like I don't wanna come out and slant, not slander, but like, if I hated a show and if it's a black person that made it, maybe I won't blast that out in public because of the code, right? But um, in, in, in good faith conversation with people, I'll speak the truth about it, you know? Because um, I think what ends up happening is that if you don't know the person, right, you can not like them, like whatever, but if right. you come out in a public way and you, and you slam it, um, you know, you may cut off a chance to really have a, a constructive conversation in the future with whoever was involved with that thing, you know? Um, but I think it's important to be honest and brutally honest because, you know, um, we need to fight the system that we're under because black people have never been free in this country. Right. Um, you know, uh, white supremacy plays both sides. So it'll put people to be rich and famous, but that doesn't mean anything for the community. When what we're about to witness too, which I'm really obviously is going to hurt black and brown people the most, is all the evictions, right? So in the yeah. next month or so, all the rent and back mortgage moratoriums or whatever are going to be um, not extended. So we're talking, I don't know, millions of people probably losing their apartments and houses, and um, you know it's it's going to be ugly. There's no safety nets. You know, and I, and I, and and unfortunately, that's the reality, and that's the key thing about being brutally honest in our community, is that these are things that's going on that no one's talking about. You know, yeah. these are things that's it, it's like it's if it's not my problem, so I'm not going to yeah. touch it. I'm not going to have a conversation yeah. with it. And unfortunately, that's the dilemma that we we deal with in our community. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I think 
more importantly, I think what you go into the film is that what you do really well is you tell it through different perspective of the experience of being a black man. Yeah. One from your boss, one from your girl, yeah. from friends, yeah. in your everyday environment. Yeah. And that yeah. overall affects our mental health. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that's very true. There's a great book uh, called Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome by Dr. Joy DeGruy. And if your listeners haven't read it, I would recommend them getting a copy. It's a really quick read, but she talks about how, you know, um, I mean, obviously trauma is passed on generationally and I believe it's embedded in our DNA and small things like, and I do this and I catch myself and it drives me nuts, especially after I read her book, but I'll say like my son will do something and I'm in public and it's all white people and I'll say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And, you know, she was like, black parents say that because when slaves had children, they were afraid of the children being taken away, raped, sold. And so they always apologize for any small thing they did. And that's like a small bit, bit of trauma that's been passed on to us. And so, um, you know, that's uh, what I try to do with the movie was show all the different perspectives that I've experienced and that I've known either in friends or family circles, you know, like the black conservative Republican um, right wing person or um, even like the white fiance in the movie. I mean, her her proximity to blackness for her was like, well, I'm a good white person because I'm, I'm this close to my fiance's black. And that's right. all the that's all I had to do. Right. Um, and I know I know people like that. You know what I'm saying? Like I and so and and then at the end, having like the black cop evict the black, you know, older lady. I mean, that's a form of violence that is basically created out of um, the residuals of, of capitalism and, and, the, and the desire for profit, you know? Um, and that's a form of black and black violence that uh, we never really talk about. You know, there's all, obviously there's different forms of violence, but um, we're gonna be seeing that man coming up with all these evictions. Um, and it's heartbreaking because, you know, I know what it feels like to, to be homeless or to go to bed hungry or like not to have any lights on because you can't pay your bills or, you know, you're the family that gets visited by people from churches with like, you know, boxes of food and clothes. Um, I mean, that's pretty much how I was raised. You know, we lived in cars, we lived in hotels and all that stuff. Um, and it's terrifying, you know? And so no matter how much success I ever have in my life, it's like, it's never going to make me feel safe or comfortable. Um, because the system is still the same system, you know? And I think as black people, when we do get lots of success, we tend to lie to ourselves because even someone like Oprah, she could, if someone wanted to, they could wipe out her money and her, her little businesses. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like if some white corporation or some white person who had it out for Oprah, they could find a way to like, dry up her billions of dollars. I mean, you know, so uh, there really is no safety net whatsoever for black people. And um, it's hard to escape because, and you know, and I, when I talk about this, you know, I say like, you know, with white supremacy, it is so ingrained in just American culture that even white people who I wouldn't consider uh, racist or evil hearted will center whiteness because that's just how the institutions they we were all were raised in, right? Church, family, school. 
And there's a lot of unlearning that we all have to do, but especially for, um, you know, I would say white brothers and sisters who are in it for the good fight. Um, it's because this whole country, the foundation of this country was built on genocide, slavery, and um, uh, a power structure that uh, deemed whiteness to be um, all things good, you know? And even though that was a long time ago, those systems are still in place, right? And so we have to destroy that system in order uh, for not only us, but anyone who's suffering to be free, really, from underneath the system. Like capitalism is, is like, it's disgusting, you know? No. It, it, it is. And I think is the, the, the mist that uh, not missed, but the idea of what freedom looks like. Yeah. Yeah. We have this illusion that the more money you have, the more freedom you have. Yeah. In a sense, you can't in money ways. Yeah. You can go buy what you want. You can travel. Yeah. Unfortunately, at the end of the day, when you're a part of this system, like you said, regardless of the fact that money can go. Oh yeah. Yeah. If, if they if they deem you a villain, a threat, yep, don't they'll you know don't get to you regardless I mean, of the fact. Yeah, I mean, look, Tupac had FBI profile. Um, I mean, how many black people have had FBI profiles on them because of of them kind of being famous and what they said that was radical? Look at Paul Robeson, how he was basically stripped of a way of having a livelihood yeah. um, because of his radicalism and. Right. Also, you know, it's, um, yeah, man, it's just really, it's really heavy. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, it's just like, you're damned if you do, if you're damned if you don't, you know? Um, and like the system is just, uh, it's eating itself too. So it's not, I don't really think it's going to last forever. I don't know if, if we can if it's gonna fall apart in our lifetime, but um, you know, what happens when there aren't any more workers to exploit? Right. I mean, or, or or there's there aren't any more resources uh, in earth to exploit. The thing about capitalism is that it will, it's like profit over souls, you know? And so it, it will destroy the planet as much as it needs to, to make profit. And right. uh, the planet doesn't need to be saved. <laughs> it will be completely fine once the human species is wiped out um, but you know it's like so I think some people get that confused like we got to save the planet it's like look nature uh, nature's job is to take you out yeah. and so you know something like cancer is nature you know sickness is nature disease is nature and but we've done a great job as a species of inventing things to stop nature yeah. and so um uh it's all gonna come to head uh you know but um yeah no no i i i i i i what i feel like too is in in our community is you know you know staying on to that conversation of being radical means you know you being honest with yourself mm -hmm. and you have the other part where you're just you just want to be safe yeah so there's nothing in the middle yeah you 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 you're, you're a truth teller yeah. or you just want to be safe. So you just go with it. Yeah, exactly. Like the character who was just doing his job. Yeah. Yeah. In the, 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 the grandmother and his son, yeah. son yeah. from the house. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing, like even with myself, 
had this talk with my friends all the time. It's like, what am I doing tangibly to make a difference? You know, I look at my my situation. Um, I have a good job. Uh, I just got a tenure track teaching job at the University CU Boulder, University of Colorado Boulder. So that's where I'm living. Um, but I also have three hundred eighty-five thousand dollars in student loan debt. So in order to balance what responsibilities I have as a dad, as a husband, as, um, as a professor, there's a lot of juggling that has to happen because, you know, I felt like, okay, if get an education, better yourself, okay, I do that. And I got all this debt, but the jobs that I get can't really help me get out of debt. So it's just a form of slavery uh, entrapment that capitalism creates. And um, to a lot of people on the outside, I may look like a success. We're going to get the movie sold. We're going to be in theaters. You know, I'm living in a house. I got a teaching job. It's tenure track. Great benefits. I still don't make enough to pay my bill. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So, like, if... God forbid if you know I lose my job, I'm living on the street. Right. Tomorrow. I don't have any money. I have zero savings. Because of all this education, I, I've you know I, I pursued to try to find an opportunity. And it wasn't like I went to school boom back to back to back. Right. I went to undergrad as an older person. Okay, let me go job hunt for a year. No job. Right. I I stayed in the food and beverage industry. Okay, let me get a master's degree. Let's see what happens. No jobs. Okay, let me go to film school. And I dropped out of film school. No, you know what I'm saying? Like it's just um and these things are expensive and 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 um you know it's um when one realizes as a black person is that <laughs> yes, you can go to the I went, you know, I went to Ivy League school, you can go to all these schools and institutions and go to the white churches and have the white um friends and neighbors, but in the end of the day, you're still black and uh it's babwa. It's blacks and bottoms, white on top, and you still sub you can still be subjugated. And some people, that's a shock when it happens, you know. Um, but if you're honest with yourself and you're aware of what's going on, um, and I'm not saying you can't have diverse friends, but as long as you know the truth of the situation, you'll be prepared. I think mentally for the fight. Right. Uh, Neely Fuller Jr. has a quote, and I may I'm just gonna like paraphrase, but okay. if you don't know what white supremacy slash racism is everything that you do know will only confuse you and so if you don't understand the system that we're living under and fighting against you will be a very confused person and the whole goal is to clarify what the fight is not be confused um so that you can make certain moves when you need to make certain moves and that's not to say it's going to work out perfectly for you um it's funny, it's like, you know, people think like, okay, we're gonna create, you know, this platform so we can have some privacy and talk about how we're gonna overthrow the government. And the truth is like, there's nothing private about our lives. You know what I'm saying? The government, I'm sure, you know, if they felt that I was a threat with my movie or whatever I'm speaking about in these interviews and they would have a profile on me and they would just like monitor me, right? right. And if you got too radical, they find a way to take you out or to just subdue the threat, you know? So, you know, we're up against um, something that seems impossible, but I don't think it is, you know? Um, I'm sure slaves during slavery times, some slaves felt that the system of slavery was an impossible thing to overcome. 
And although this, I want to be very clear on this, that form of slavery, chattel slavery, doesn't exist in America. But slavery has just rebranded itself. So we still live under um, slavery systems for sure. You know what I'm saying? But my point is, I'm sure slaves at the time felt like this form of slavery was never going to end. Um, but, so, I feel like, but I feel like um, the difference is, is that at least, I'm not, I hate when people try to take your words and stuff like that. But back then, you had a sense of community. Yeah, you had no choice, right? You had no choice. You had no, you had no options. That's right. Today, we live in a, in a today, but for almost two, almost a decade, or I would say even two decades, we live in this idea of individualism. It's oh, in the yeah. individual. It's not community. It's I. It's oh, me. Yeah. yeah. And that's the difference, I think. And I think because we live in this individualism, uh, I got to get mine before you get yours. Yeah. That's why I felt, unfortunately, we're in a situation where you won't see anything kind of manifest itself. Yeah. Like it used, like it was back then. Yeah. Everybody's just trying to just get their own. And yeah. They don't yeah. Their fellow person, fellow that, man. I think that's a very American thing, you know. Um, individualism. This is what I wanted to say earlier, and I'm glad you brought this up because I can tie all this in together. Individualism is a very American thing. Everyone in America is all about I. What can I do to better my life? Um, I mentioned this to you before um, about my wife. My wife is Japanese. We've been married about 18 years. And in the Japanese culture is familiar piety. Everything is about community, family first. And it took me a while to readjust because when I was young, we got married when we were really young. Um, I definitely had an individual thing going on. Um, but America is very individual, right? Except exceptionalism as well. And the thing about freedom, what I don't think a lot of people understand is that, um, freedom just doesn't mean like do whatever you want or be able to do whatever you want. Your freedom is only, can only be extended as far as it does not trump someone, uh, someone's other freedom. Yeah. So for example, and this, I'm only using this because we're in a pandemic and this is a big issue, say mask, right? So, oh, my freedom is not, I don't wanna wear a mask, that's my freedom. It's like, well, if you are not wearing a mask and so say you get someone killed and they are sick and they died, then you tra you like trampled all over their freedom. So therefore, um, that's not, uh, you cannot exercise it as real freedom, right? Um, and that goes back to being in individualism in America. Right. We, don't, we don't care about community and, Capitalism um, and Hollywood's very guilt. I mean, Hollywood is basically the propaganda arm of this whole shebang. And so, um, you know, since we've been uh, born into this country, you can look at um, uh, you look at the the white Christian church. Um, personal salvation to Jesus Christ is probably harped on way a lot more than any type of um, corp corporal worship or um or corporate corporal sin you know uh it's always like well i'm a good person right. i'm i'm sanctified and i've done what I, it's like well <laughs> that how does that take down the system right the white supremacy it doesn't and so um so all of our institutions have trained us to think individually in, the, in this country um 
And so that is a big problem. I totally agree with you. It's a big problem. And in the black community, it is, it's so hard to survive under the system that, um, for example, you may swallow the honey because it's sweet and going down, but it's going to be bitter in your stomach. People will rather try to assimilate into a system. And sometimes that works out for some people, meaning right. that they make money, they're left alone, nothing bad happens to them, and they got through. But that is rare. And right. so um, for everyone that does that and forgets about community, it just makes the community uplift that much harder, you know? And so for me, it's like, personally, like, what can I do to constantly uplift community? And I think what's important is that we start where we live. Like, again, I just moved to Colorado. I'm still kind of getting to know this town where I'm at. Um, there's not a lot of black people here. Um, the ones that live here, I see a few <laughs> every other day, but the ones, the big black community is outside Denver, which is about 30 minutes away from where I live. Um, but my thing is like, what can I tangibly do for those? And Neely Fuller Jr. talks about this, replacing the system of white supremacy with the system of justice. Right. And what does justice mean? Those who need the most help get the most constructive help. So I'm trying to live by that and think, okay, yes, I have a lot of debt. I don't have a lot of money I can give, um, but I can give my time, my wisdom, my knowledge, my life experience, and who needs the most help and how can I give them the most constructive help? So, I'm, so you know, it's like, I think if we could think in those terms, um, because look, the government's not gonna save us, the state's not gonna save us, the city's not gonna save you, but if in our black community we need something, we can come together, put our resources together and, and, to, and to lift the burden until this whole thing uh, changes for the better, um, and I and I I hope more people start to think that way because there's a lot that we can do with what we have now instead of waiting for the perfect political candidate to burn the whole house down. You know, um, you're never going to vote your way out of white supremacy. You're never going to vote your way out of capitalism. You're never going to vote your way um, to equality. Um, you know. Uh, I'm not telling people what to do, but if all you care about is my ancestors died for, for my right to vote, you are missing the whole point. Right. Um, and so, and I feel like what happens is some people, I'm not saying not everybody, but some people would just focus on that only yes. and then not do anything else that they could actually do that's tangible in their own community. So I don't know. It's like, for me, I'm just like, am I doing enough? You know, that's my big question. Um, you know, there's, I don't know, like I'm trying to just every day reassess, like what can I do, even if it's a Zoom thing or a conversation, can I give somebody money? I don't know. It's hard. Man. It's really hard. I think, I think you are doing, you are doing it with this film, because again, with this film, what you're doing is you're opening up Pandora's box in your film, right? Yeah. Because again, like we were talking about, these are things that we go through as black men every day. Yeah. We yep. keep it internal. We yep. keep it to ourselves. Yep. That's what kills us inside. Yep. And then what happens is that rage come out. Mm -hmm. and happens, and now we're doing time for the rest of our life. Right. Our life is taken away. So you're doing your part by with this film and having this discussion. Because honestly, I bet you you've been getting a lot of people like, like, what did I just see? Yeah. Yeah conversation with you to see what's yeah. your to get your perspective behind why you wanted to do this film yeah 
Yeah. And me watching that film, I figured out, like, I know why you wanted to do this film because yeah. your purpose in life was to tell our story. Yeah. And that's yeah. what you're doing. And I think that's important. We need people like you to tell our story because some people are not great storytellers. Yeah. Yeah. People are good in certain things. Yeah. You're good at this. Yeah. And so doing great things with this, this is important. You know, this, this is how you're helping our community is by doing your part. Yeah. And my doing my part is having you on and having these uncomfortable conversations. Yeah. Cause yeah. I, I, at the end of the day, we have to have those uncomfortable conversations mm -hmm. about our mental health. No, oh, yeah. That's right, now, right now. The big thing is, you know, we, we, we gotta, we gotta get mental health. You know, we got, we yeah. gotta, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta get a therapist. Yeah. yeah. So that's what's going on right now. Yeah. But I think, like I said, at the end of the day, it's having these conversations because we got to have these uncomfortable conversations with each other. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then also, when you were talking about individualism and community, where does, where, where's humanity in mm -hmm. there? Because mm -hmm. when you think of being an individual, you're thinking about yourself. Mm -hmm. And often you, humanity is kind of distant to the side. Yeah, yeah. The only time you think about um, community is like when you're in trouble, yeah, or you know you're just trying to make yourself look a certain way, yeah, mm -hmm. in the eye of the public, yeah. So kind kind of kind of touch on that me a little bit about you know humanity, you know that you know between community and individualism. Yeah, I mean it's. Um... I mean, the thing is, it's it's important to see people for who they are as humans because right. we're all we're all the same species essentially. And um, I think black people in general, uh, I th I think tend to have a lot of grace towards others who would rather dehumanize. You know, not everyone, but you know, it's. Um, I think it's important because when you're when you're focused on like being an individual, it's um, you, I think you can see other people as obstacles to your mm -hmm. goals and not human, and so you can be very brutal or you can crush them or try to manipulate the situation. Don't care how many people get hurt. I mean, we, we see this in kind of like um, uh, Jeff Bessels. You know, it's like uh, that drive for whatever drive he had. I mean, like. All the Amazon workers have to pee in bottles and just the horrible conditions they work under. And this guy's jetting off the space, you know. Um, but I, and I think when you think about community and you work towards that, I think you, you see people as human because you see their need and you can see how together we can at least alleviate some of this pain. And so, um, you know, it's hard. It's been hard the last couple of years, man. I'm not going to lie because... You know, I got like Trump supporters in my family and stuff like that. And and uh, at first it was hard, but it's like I'm trying to see them as human first, you know, right. and understand that if someone's black, whatever they're doing, whether they realize it or not, they're trying to possibly self-medicate to survive the system of white supremacy. Right. And again, Neely Fuller, if you don't understand what white supremacy is, everything you do know will only confuse you. And there's a lot of confusion in the black community. And, 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 I, and I totally agree with that. There's a lot of confusion. And I think one of the most things, I think one of the most important things 
out of this uh confusion is rage mm -hmm. yeah you know, being well, woke and being conscious and having rage yeah. and trying to balance the two but at the same time you know still have your humanity yeah because rage will kill you if you let it it'll kill you it'll put give you an early death you know i when i was younger i had some really um i had some mental breakdowns i had about i would say um three uh two or three uh you know to the point where i, I uncontrollable crying um feeling you know the anxiety attacks uh not understanding um how to get out of just how you're feeling i mean man before my son was born then when my son was born i had some really rough patches there and uh filled with rage you know um it manifested itself in a very negative way right. i was drinking a lot um and doing dumb things uh as i was extremely drunk with the hopes that i would die right. you know what i'm saying either by the hand of somebody else or by my own hand right. and um you know we don't talk about that a lot yeah. and um so if you allow the rage to consume you it will do that but there is something called righteous anger and i think if you can can stay clear headed and keep all those things in balance righteous anger is a good thing you know um but it's almost like oh, i forgot that character i'm not really big on like the comics like marvel and stuff I know there's a character that can shoot flames from his hand. Um, but I, in my mind, visually, it's like, yeah, that's righteous anger. But then what if those flames consume you because uh, you can't control it? So that's the that's the hard part, especially as a black person, black male, really. You know, here in Colorado, I'm super polite. I'm a very easygoing person. I've worked with all kinds of types of people. Wow. Um, and you know i can i can do it and i'm a team player but here you know if i'm out and about with my children i it's okay but if i'm by myself right. and it's all white people right i have to carry myself a certain way i make sure to make eye contact first smile speak first wave right. in, in the most non-threatening way possible and that's that's out of pure wanting to survive <laughs> You know, like my neighbor, uh, I have a neighbor across the street. Uh, I won't say what her name is, but she just moved in. She's a really nice lady. She's a white lady. And she's going out of town with her two young boys who are really nice boys. And she goes, hey, can you do me a favor? Like, well, I'm gone. I'm gone for 10 days. Can you just, like, pick up any packages that come to my house and just put them in your house? Because I don't want them, you know, get rained on. And I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, no problem. But then in my head, I'm like, like... <laughs> <laughs> guy at night creeping over to this white lady's house, right. taking packages off a <laughs> neighbor to call the cops, and I could be dead. So I probably had my wife do it, but just things like that, you know. Like if I'm in the grocery store, it's weird too, man. I don't, I can't put my finger on it, but like lately, um, these white guys, like it'd be a, this one white guy was like, he had like all these army army hat and fatigues on, and like American flags, and he like. He like looked at me and he smiled. He's like, "Howdy, partner. How are you doing today? <laughs> Why are you talking to me? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, how are you? He's like, I'm great. It's good. Nice to nice to see you. And I'm like, what is that? Like, is it 
like why you know what i'm saying <laughs> um, clearly like what is it you know like is it is it him trying to say oh i did a good deed today i spoke to a black person nicely you know what i'm saying like i don't know right. um but that's been happening a lot lately and that kind of makes me uncomfortable yeah. um, and also too everyone you know you can have a gun here it's concealed carry and I found out last week that students can bring guns in the classroom. Um, so I'm like, well, I mean, I grew up on guns as a kid. Right. And so right. I'm not going to be asked out. I'm right. going to definitely get me a piece eventually, legally. If all these people have it, I'm going to have to have something. You know what I'm saying? But um, I just, you know, you have to carry yourself. And that brings a lot of stress, too, because you cannot be authentic. Because people would be afraid yeah. of us if we were truly authentic. And our thoughts were out there, as it can be for white people, can say whatever the hell they want, you know, on TV or whatever. Right. In word, they do, they always do that stuff. That's right. the true authentic self. But right. you know, what they're afraid of is that the power dynamics. It's funny too, because black people can't be racist because racism to me represents power. Right. We don't have any power. I'm gonna call the cops and say, hey, white ladies harassing me. I'm a black man, come send help. <laughs> <laughs> now flip that script. No, 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 yeah, absolutely right. You know I mean? So we don't have any power. So we can't exercise racism. Um, and so, you know, but what they're afraid of is that the power dynamics switch and then we treat them as they treated us for 40 years, which would not happen. But that's the, that's the fear. And that's what's being taught in, uh, you know, uh, white families. White churches, white schools, um, you know, they want change as long as their status quo doesn't change. I'm sorry, the status quo is going to have to change for more equality to happen. So, um, yeah. No, no, I, I totally agree with that, man. And I, and I enjoyed this conversation, brother. This yeah, was, me too. I have to. <laughs> this was great. Reaching out. I really appreciate that, man. Yeah, man. This was, I felt like I was in college. I'm not being <laughs> like a, a college course that we just put together <laughs> on the fly man because i think at the end of the day we have to have these un we have to have these uncomfortable conversations yeah you know, whether you disagree with the person yeah. or you agree with the person this conversation has to have ha has to happen all over yeah black men you know yeah. you know how do we channel that rage that righteous rage Change not change, but how can we turn that rage and create it into humanity? Yeah, yeah, and and, and that 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 legacy of trauma. Yeah, because unfortunately, we're still carrying that legacy of trauma from my ancestors. Of course, yeah, yeah. So, we, so before we end this conversation, how can we? How does that end with us to the to the next generation, as well as you yeah. being a father? How do you end that cycle? I mean, what I'm trying to do to end that cycle is to really um, preach to my children that you have to love thy neighbor as thyself. And you really have to, you have to recognize if you have certain blessings in your life, whether that's material or other blessings. Um, because if you have, in my opinion, if you have lots of blessings in certain areas, that means you got to use that to help people who, who need help in those areas. And so for me trying to stop the cycle, I'm trying to teach my kids like love thy neighbor as thyself. Think of community first. And what can you do to leave 
your community in better shape by the end of your life than before you got here, you know? Um, and calling out things that are wrong, speaking truth to power, um, and being honest with yourself, with the community, and when things that are are not the way they should be. And it's I think it's gonna take a while, but I think if we can start there, especially with our kids, um, they'll have a different mindset than how we had growing up. And they won't, they'll, they'll have a clarity of what the fight is. That's the whole goal. Can we clarify what the fight is um, and not distract with this whole bootstrap driver stuff that doesn't work um, and then loving on people? Because, you know, honestly for me, I have, a, I have a heart for people. I don't care if you're black, white, yellow or whatever. Obviously, um, you know, the black community um, to me, like, is the most important, but I love people and I don't want to see anyone struggle. So uh, if I'm in a position to help someone out, I'm going to do that. You know what I'm saying? And it, even that act of, of kindness or that heart change of seeing someone as human, I think that could help. That could go a long way. Because a lot of people who, you know, to me, a lot of white people who um, are either racist or, or just, you know, they don't want the status quo to change. It's it's based out of fear, you know. Um, and uh, we need to approach each other with more love, you know, not fear. And so um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's going to work, but that's how I'm approaching it with my children, is to uh, call things out for what they are. Love your neighbor as thyself. Think about your community first, um, and honor your gifts. Um, and share your blessings. That's dope, man. I appreciate that. And also, you are doing your, you're doing your, you're doing your, um, doing what you're supposed to be doing, sharing and being a creator. That's sharing. You're sharing your gift to the world. And the Sleeping Negro is definitely a gift to us. Okay. I hope people go check it out. Yeah. Um, where can people find you? Uh, they can go to SkinnerMyers.com. That's my personal website. I have photography some other short films up there that I've made. Uh, you can get in touch with me. There's a new le newsletter you can sign up for. And then for the film, the sleepingnegrofilm.com, uh, the same, um, it's the same for the Instagrams, like instagram.com backslash the sleeping negro film. We're also on Twitter, TSN underscore film. And that's it. Those are the three spots, my website and the two social media sites for the movie. And like I said, there will be, um, we'll, a press release will go out tomorrow about the um, distribution plans for the movie with Art Matten Films, which I'm really happy about. And then we'll be headed to um, France in September for our international premiere, and hopefully we'll find a uh, French buyer for the film. Um, and then we'll be, there's some other festivals that I'll be announcing um, probably in the next month or so. On Instagram, we got in, I can't say anything, but they're not until like November. <laughs> So it's like, I got to sit on it, but it's all good. You know, um, I think we're going to finish out the year planned festivals. The cool thing is that because we're doing a theatrical release, we'll be eligible to, for the Independent Spirit Awards, the Gotham Awards, and the NAACP Image Awards. So um, I don't know if we'll get nominated, but at least we can, we're eligible to submit the project for some of those considerations. So we'll see what happens. And then I have other movies in the works. Um, that I plan on making as soon as I can get more money. <laughs>
<laughs> and it's that's that's unfortunately the, the 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 world that we live in when it comes yeah. to film. You need the money. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then also real fast, um, coming up is the DC Festival. Just talk yes. about the rest. Yes. Yep. Talk about it real Thank you for that. So the African uh, Diaspora International Film Fest in DC, uh, it's coming up. We're opening the festival for the opening night film. I'll be doing a Q&A. Um, I think it's August 13th. That's the date. Mm-hmm. Uh, August 13th. The film starts, I want to say, at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And then the Q&A would be 8.30 um, p.m. Eastern time. But it'd be a live Q&A with myself. And then there may be a couple of special guests. We'll see what happens. But yeah, that's coming up. Really excited about that. Uh, and that's our next big festival um, appearance. And then more announcements will come out after that soon. So, so, yeah. so make sure you go check that out. The link and all that information that you need to know, people, will be in the description below. And we're out. Peace. Peace. <laughs>